Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's the Wonky Show. Uh, net migration is up. The government is restricting student immigration. But will the proposals be enough? Uh, plus, rental reform is causing controversy and regulation is getting more expensive. It's all coming up. Yeah, and I think you'll, you'll, you'll remember, I think, that there were certain individuals, uh, d- officials who'd never met each other, who were sort of like first time in the round table. Maybe they'd had been emailing each other, but they would actually physically had the chance to sort of trade these discussions. And the other thing was also the sort of passing the buck. You know, we, we couldn't get around that situation. Of, I think sometimes the department thinks. Welcome to The Wonky Show, your weekly way into this week's higher education news, policy and analysis. I'm Wonky's Associate Editor Jim Dickinson and joining me to roll in the weeds of HE policy this week, as usual, three Titanic guests. In Kingston, Chris Kidmore is Net Zero Chair and MP for Kingswood. Chris, your highlight of the week, please. I think sort of the decision of the Home Office to sort of row back on their initial proposals was definitely, from an HE perspective, I think good news. So I know we'll be talking about that, but I think that was a highlight for me. Yes, excellent. We, we will get to that. Uh, just north of Watford, Andy Westwood is Professor of Government Practice at the University of Manchester. Andy, your highlight of the week, please. Uh, morning all. Well, my highlight, I was at a book launch last night at the Resolution Foundation. It's quite nerdy, this highlight, but uh, I'm going to go with it. Uh, um, uh, and the book launch was Power and Progress by Darren Asamoglu, uh, and the launch includes Diane Coyle. So basically two of my absolute favourite economists in the same room and I came away with a signed book <laughs> wow excellent which well, I shall now that. read sort of in link, about three years link time link to that in the show notes yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah. in Cromer this week Debbie McVitie is editor at Wonky Debbie your highlight of the week please um, I've, I've been struggling to think of one this week because it's been it's quite quite an intense week so far um, so I'm going to say our, our team meeting uh, where we get together once every six weeks or so to chew over the fact of, of our education policy behind closed doors and just generally catch up with what everyone's been up to and that that was lovely. Yes, jolly good time was had by all. So yes, we start this week with international students. Net migration is up and it's dependents that are down, Andy. It is. Well, it's uh, as as Chris has already sort of said on this, it's been a kind of been quite a long run up to this story. Um, in well, in many cases, sort of, you know, several years. But we're, we're expecting the migration figures uh, at some point this week, well, any minute now, in fact. And, and the expectation is that they're going to be kind of quite quite high uh, uh, and a pretty significant increase on last year. So, you know, we've got the kind of broader politics of what does that mean? What does that mean for a, a government that in, in various forms has been keen to control these numbers? Um, what does that mean for the opposition? Keir Starmer obviously led on kind of the, the, the immigration figures yesterday at PMQs and, uh, and, and really sort of twinned it with an accusation that, that the high numbers are related to the government's failure to kind of manage the domestic economy, essentially. Um, and in that, um, you have this sort of fairly familiar debate about, about, uh, uh international students and, uh, what you can do uh, if you should wish to control these numbers and uh, as as chris said in his highlight 
Um, if if Suella Braverman uh, w- was left to her own devices, the kinds of things that she was talking about at the National Conservative uh, meeting last week, then you know we could probably expect to see some pretty drastic curbs on the numbers of students or the types of institutions or courses that they might uh, uh, attend. But uh, after some pushback from uh, not least from Rishi Sunak, Jeremy Hunt, uh, and Gillian Keegan, what we've ended up with is is a restriction on um, the number of dependents that uh, international students can bring, can bring to the UK, particularly for postgraduate talk courses. Now, um, the background to this is quite interesting because as you've pointed out, Jim, you know, those numbers have been rising pretty significantly in recent years. And the, the overall kind of number of visas granted to dependents last year were, were uh, 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 over 130,000, which according to, uh, according to the government's data is nearly nine times the number in 2019. So we've seen pretty significant growth in the number of dependents that are accompanying international students. And, and we've seen particular growth from particular countries and particular markets. So, you know, there is something um, going on there. And and it's become the, the the particular place where government has, well, where the Home Office have decided they can act. Uh, and that the, um, you know, the other parts of government think is, is, is acceptable. But I think I think you know the broad the broader politics of this is 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 probably the most important thing. I mean, I know that uh, you know in higher education universities will will and have kind of returned to lots of those now well rehearsed defences about the importance of international students, and you know, and it's it's been good to hear lots of those arguments again. But um, that broad, the broader politics of immigration are, is a lightning rod for this government. And so, you know, alongside small boats, uh, uh, you, you know, anchoring ships off Dorset and, uh, um, and, and, and the kind of, you know, the symbolic kind of uh, uh, measures that are being taken, you, you know, we have to have this sort of semi-manufactured row about international students and a set of measures which, you know, if they are introduced, won't be until... Uh, early 2024 so probably just after the next election um so 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 there's a kind of I, th- I think for the government the most important thing here is having a story of action in a week where the numbers are going um are going to go very very high rather than the, the the specific details you know they need to be seen to be doing things and i think i think this is the context that that this particular crackdown really sits in um, well, look, look, look. I mean, look, look. Let, let, let's get to the politics, Chris. You know, part of the problem I suspect here is that on the one hand, the manifesto, you know, had had another of the kind of um, promises to get numbers down, and the Home Office's kind of you know impact assessment on the graduate route was much more modest than it's turned out in terms of numbers. So given that numbers are massively bigger than where everyone expected them to be, you know, the kind of success has been so successful, that now comes into sharp conflict with that manifesto commitment, doesn't it? Well, I think in respect to the the graduate route that, you know, it was obviously a part of the manifesto commitment also, uh, that 
what we've seen, and, and we've just published, I chair an international higher education commission that was set up directly to try and sort of counter what we saw the government beginning to articulate last summer. So as has been mentioned, this has been a long time coming. And if there weren't other things going on with people messing up decisions or over speeding fines, then this would be seen as a humiliating climb down on that rhetoric that was being put out you know, by the Home Office uh, last summer, I think was when it began. Uh, and actually, you know, what's we are I'm really keen to do is to sort of analyze, you know, who are these international students? I mean, they shouldn't be in the migration figures anywhere. There are other countries that don't include them. Uh, and that was UKIP policy back in 2014 to remove international students from net migration figures. Uh, and yeah, we do well to potentially copy once, uh, only once, this particular UKIP policy. Um, but but actually, uh, what we've seen and what the, the International Higher Education Commission published an interim report uh, this week also, is that actually the growth in international students is predominantly uh, the growth in one-year master's courses. Uh, and those are obviously leading to a post-study work visa of up to potentially sort of three years uh, as well. Uh, and that's something that is cannibalizing the, the the, the full degree route. We've actually seen international student full degrees, uh, the three-year courses, fall by 16,000 students. We've seen PhDs fall by 1,500 students. It's actually in the one-year masters that we've seen this sort of turbocharging sort of takeoff. And that's not sustainable for universities. It's bringing in far less income. Not That's not the most important thing they should be focusing on, but it's still the same numbers for the for the less resource overall. Debbie, how, what, what's gonna, what, what, what do you think is going to happen next here in terms of demand or how universities might respond i mean presumably we're about to get a big bulge in demand around september i mean it's very hard to know i think and this is i mean this is this is part of the problem and i think if you look at some of the language that the prime minister used writing in the telegraph uh, for example there is there does seem to be this sense that demand is is stable and predictable and 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 a given um, and that that students kind of faced with it with a change in the environment for a UK qualification won't simply decide to go elsewhere, which of course is, is is very much you know within their within their capability if they want to go to the US or Canada or Australia or one of the other countries that is would be very pleased to welcome them. Um, so I think there there is. Uh, uh, because it's it's partly about it's partly about you know the actual change in demand. It's partly about the perception of what of of you know of the environment that awaits students, even if you know whether or not they have dependents. Um, there will be some students who would have who, who would who would have wanted to bring dependents and now won't be able to, and 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 will presumably make kind of decisions on that basis. Um, and then there will be the ways that universities perhaps pivot their recruitment uh, tactics in light of. Um, you know the extent to which they they understand the number of students that they have that are bringing dependents, which is actually not something that universities I think always have a very good grip on because this is not something that has you know historically been data that universities have needed to collect. So I think the overall consequence is that certainly I think there'll be a rush to fill fill boots in the year ahead, which will only kind of probably you know exacerbate the overall problem, which is, is that there's that, that lack of sort of stability of policy in this area means that universities are kind of forced into kind of tactical um uh sort of responses rather than um sustainable long term planning with 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 the sort of with the sort of numbers that that, that that we then see. 
I, yeah, I think, can I, can I just say, I agree entirely with Debbie. I also agree with Chris's point about taking them out of the, the figures and kind of, uh, you know, avoiding these, uh, these debates. But I think, I think, you know, Debbie, you've, you've completely hit the nail on the head here. I mean, what we've seen is big expansion of master's provision. I teach a master's program, uh, in Manchester, uh, but a big, big expansion of numbers, um, both for domestic students and obviously international students. And it's become, you know, it's become a kind of major fill your boots <laughs> uh, moment for for uh, universities for lots of different reasons but you know what we don't do is talk about all of those things so in a sense Keir Starmer was quite uh, smart I think to sort of say well actually you know how does this relate to the kind of economy that we need and the role of universities in and, and colleges for that matter uh, to to help kind of build that economy whether it's through things like the the apprenticeship levy or uh, uh, or undergraduate or master's students but what but what we've got a kind of short-term like you say short-term kind of knee-jerk strategy to fill gaps to fill holes rather than kind of take a long-term view about kind of what are we trying to do here um, you know what do we really want to offer the world um, what do we really want to offer the UK in terms of skills that it can use in its attempts to kind of boost its own productivity which has been obviously a, a kind of big problem for the last 10-15 years and 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 there's a complete absence of that there's a co- complete absence of that in the debate about the uh, about international students there's a complete absence of that uh, I, I'm afraid in universities own discussions about the kind of provision that they're putting on uh, um, in relation either to the economy as a whole or to kind of you know local and regional economies as they uh, as as they evolve so i think i think there are some there are some huge kind of vacuums around around this policy which i think in terms of some of the bigger headlines for the country you know what kind of economy are we trying to build what kind of living standards are we trying to you, you know trying to improve what kind of public services are we trying to kind of uh, uh, build alongside those things you, you know that we just don't talk about it at all and and i think that's the most frustrating thing chris on this on this issue of planning obviously you know the last you know the original international education strategy had the target that it had over 10 years and one of the things that rishi sunak regularly says is well you appear to have hit the target disproportionately early that would suggest that the level of planning that you need to do when you have huge increases hasn't necessarily gone in. And I guess on one level or another, your your new commission is trying to fill some of those gaps in, albeit a bit belatedly. Yeah, I, I think sort of ensuring that universities have this sort of social license to practice uh, in their communities when it comes to international education and student provision is, is exactly why the commission is there. I don't want some kind of boom and bust uh, where you know universities uh, are accused of over recruiting you know those toxic narratives of bums on seats and and actually you know we we can demonstrate a stable continuous pathway you know which is in everyone's interest uh and and, and particularly for you know certain universities that you know, are located in in areas where the housing provision isn't sufficient it's not you know sustainable for the students themselves you know and i i'm extremely worried about the you know potentially for those international students coming to the uk that they're sold a dream uh, and then the reality is is they're having to sort of you know commute 30 miles uh into into campus because they're simply not the accommodation uh for them so you know play 
base planning is as important as much as strategically planning. Um, I think the other challenge we've got is the country by country planning. You know, when I was universities minister, I remember you know, giving speeches saying we've got to reduce our dependence on one particular country without actually specifically naming what that country was. Although we sort of, <laughs> yeah, it was it was very much an elephant in the room. Uh, but now that's happened. Actually, I think you'll see that you know a, a reduction in the number of Chinese international students has occurred. Uh, the challenge has been the recruitment's taken place uh, from uh, other African countries, namely, and if we're going to name them, Nigeria, uh, where actually some of those students, you know, have already had children by the time they come to look to study. So you know, actually, the, the 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 counter challenge is is that you can begin to strategically change direction like an oil tanker it takes time um but at the same time we should have thought through you know if we were going to be recruiting from elsewhere what are the consequences of that and and part of that was that dependence challenge Mm. debbie i guess it's genuinely difficult to do some of that planning when you know i mean certainly i could put a bet on that in six months time we get the next set of net migration figures this time for summer to summer Um, they they won't have gone down um, uh, you know, uh, Sunak might be on the ropes in terms of polls. I mean, you know, it's really hard to do long-term planning here, isn't it? It, it is. And I mean, I mean, I mean, Andy's right to sort of talk about the politics of this is, you know, it, and any, any leader, any party leader is always going to be having to kind of triangulate between, uh, you know, looking to the next election, you know, the, the kind of various sort of more extreme parts of the party trying to outflank them on, on, on different issues. And, and as a consequence, we don't get a very kind of mature conversation, um, about some of this stuff. Um, but I think, you know, one of, one of the areas though, where I think, I, I hope the conversation kind of evolves a bit further because it hasn't really come out so much in the media coverage yet is, um, in Braverman's written statement, one of the part of the package of measures was looking at agents and the use of agents and where agents are um, perhaps doing some of that uh, selling the dream in a way that is perhaps not quite um, accurate. Um, and I'm, I'm genuinely curious as to, as, to, as to whether there's a plan there and what the plan is, because I think that's, that seems to be an area where, um, you know, it would have been long understood that there, there probably needs to be a bit more um, a bit more of an in-depth conversation going on. Um, and that is, and, and I mean, and, and, and I don't know if that would make an immediate change before next summer. I, I highly doubt it because I think that's probably part of a long-term thing as well. But that does seem to be an area where there could be some useful efforts going in that would help to kind of cool cool things down a little bit. Andy, as you noted, Keir Starmer went in kind of hard on, um, you know, they've lost control of immigration uh, at PMQs this week. What... You know, if if there was a Labour government after the next election, what what might happen there? Well, I think, yeah, that's, as in many areas of higher education, that's quite tricky to tell. Um, but um, I think I think if you take that that broader view, and as 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 we're already discussing here, um, whether it's sensible to be uh, dependent on particular markets. Um, there's a big conversation about about what resilience looks like economically. Uh, Rachel Reeves did a big speech in um, Washington yesterday, uh, setting out Labour's kind of economic vision, and and it's very much. And I mean, this is an area obviously Chris is very familiar with. Um, it, it's very much a kind of vision that that looks and feels intentionally like Bidenomics. I mean, Rachel Reeves calls it secure anomics. 
Um, so there's a phrase that's going to fly <laughs> onto leaflets uh, around uh, around the country. But um, but but the, but the, the principles are, are are all relevant. You, you know, it's about it's about kind of um, growing uh, a domestic economy, particularly in certain sectors. The government uh, released its semiconductor strategy this week. So you know, this is something actually where 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 the conservatives. And Labour are kind of um, feeling around some of the same issues, trying to answer the question about what the relationship with China looks like, um, what it means for uh, uh, industrial strategy, regional strategy in the in the domestic economy to build that resilience or to work with allies as opposed to those that might not share our values. And this is where kind of all the stuff around the Inflation Reduction Act and uh, Chips and Science Act really becomes quite interesting in the US. And, and what Labour are trying to do, I think, is set out that context and for universities, I think the question is, well, where do universities fit in that world? And, um, and, and it's from there that you get to the questions about, about relationships with particular countries, about international students, about particular subjects, uh, uh, particular sectors. And, and I think universities would be wise to kind of think, well, okay, this is a more active government. Um, this is a government that, that will probably want universities, whether it's in R&D or teaching or in terms of particular sectors and places, to do particular things. And that's probably more active things than universities are used to doing. And so, so I think, you know, again, we have to start with that bigger picture. And, and I think for Labour, we're, we're beginning to see what that bigger picture looks like economically. And, uh, and the kind of higher education plans will, will essentially come downstream from that. But we'll have to fit everything that uh, uh, that we want from government kind of into that same dialogue, whether it's increased funding or kind of, you know, particular support for research or civic activity. You, you know, we need to see uh, uh, our strategies, our future plans through through those particular kind of types of lenses too, I think. Well, I think, you know, we've been talking about international education and, and uh, student mobility. You know, n- none of these challenges, these global challenges, uh, you know, whether this is around uh, building out a green future industry, are going to be solved without having that mobility of labour and you know, mobility of, of highly trained engineers uh, and a number of different disciplines that will be needed. So, you know, we, we can focus on the binomics and the investment, but actually, uh, it, it's interesting. Obviously, the government had to carve out for PhD students, and, and rightly so. But we've sort of lost that Dominic Cummings narrative of the global talent visa and, and bringing sort of international students here as being a good thing. Uh, and I was quite struck actually by um, Starmer's comments yesterday because he sort of went in hard on the whatever the the, the skilled uh, visa labor route is uh, but actually when you sort of break down the jobs that have been coming through in terms of the descriptions on that ta- on that visa route you know they're all jobs that we need they're not they are they're nurses they're care workers but they're also um some of the scientists and engineers that we're going to need to deliver on net zero so you know we've got to have a an honest conversation on both uh, political in both political parties about the reality of why you know immigration and skilled immigration is a good thing if we want to actually deliver on a green industrial revolution great now let's see who's been blogging for us this week hi my name is Matt Coldry and I'm a senior lecturer in sports coaching at Hartbury University. So the idea for my article on the Wonky blog stems from my own experiences of having ADHD and working as a lecturer. So since my diagnosis as an adult, I've reflected in depth on how my ADHD 
does cause me to find some aspects of my role quite challenging, but also how it does provide me with some unique strengths as well. So the article relates to a wider project that I've set up called the Neurodivergent Network. And this project aims to raise awareness about what neurodiversity is and how it can affect people, um, as well as aiming to create a more inclusive working and studying environment as well for neurodivergent people. There's still quite a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to neurodiversity, so it's really important to highlight how these conditions can affect individuals both positively and negatively in their work and study. So this article specifically covers ideas related to ADHD and working with ADHD and it aims to explain how with a proper understanding of what ADHD is and how it influences a person we can create environments that not only unlock the potential of neurodiverse employees but also help to harness some of those super strengths that people with ADHD possess uh, within them as well. Now, next up, barely a week since the Renters' Reform Bill was published and we have a U-turn, Debbie. (laughs) That's right. Uh, So the Renters' Reform Bill was introduced in Parliament last week by Leveling Up Secretary Michael Gove. Um, For our purposes, there are two key provisions in that bill that are relevant to the student rental market. Um, and those were that there would be uh, students or you know, all tenants would be able to get to leave their tenancies with two months' notice, um, and that that is f- in the context of the student rental market where um, landlords had been um, issuing fixed term tenancies of twelve months to students. That uh, that would mean that students would essentially be able to depart their tenancies early. Um, the other was uh, the, the the overall abolition of fixed term tenancies. Um, so, so actually, it wouldn't be possible for uh, uh, so you know, if a student had stayed in their tenancy for twelve months, that they would then they would then be able to stay on. So, uh, for various reasons, uh, the, the, the landlords have been lobbying um, against that. Um, so, uh, particularly uh, because they, um, it's quite you know, it's quite advantageous to landlords to be able to lock students into annual contracts. Um, and then, of course, be able to kind of move on to another group of students, and and, and thus, you know, thus put up the rent. And um, the the risk the the risk that was threatened was that you know landlords might leave the sector altogether if 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 the whole if they if the, if the system could be made to work for them. Uh, so, so what's happening now is that uh, Michael Gove is is considering introducing an amendment that would uh, exempt off-street student accommodation from from some of those provisions. So, um, that th- it would be possible to allow a yearly let or a twelve twelve month tenancy uh, to 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 student uh, in, in student property specifically. Yes, Chris. I guess the danger here is that in an effort to improve rights for student tenants, we see a collapse in supply. And supply feels pretty tight around the country right now, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think yeah, there's a number of uh, you know, and policy is always around understanding you know, where's the Venn diagram of a succession of different policies sort of hitting uh, landlords uh, in a way that means that some of them just sell up and decides enough's enough. Uh, so in a way, yeah, for me it points to 
yeah, where's the future direction of policy? Does it come from the centre? Uh, yeah, we talked about place planning earlier. You know, surely there must be a, a, a greater uh, opportunity uh, for effectively you know, devolved uh, responsibilities around trying to identify what are the pressures, you know, what's the reality, uh, working obviously through national frameworks and guidelines. But yeah, we don't get that sort of sense of, of this sort of uh, levelling up opportunity, I guess you might want to call it, around, around thinking about you know, accommodation provision. Uh, it's just not sort of something that's part of the equation. And as you say, it's all rights-based, but with rights comes reality, the consequences and reality. Yeah. I mean, part of this, Andy, is, you know, I mean, this this is something you talk about a lot, you've already talked about today on, on, on the show, which is, you know, this isn't really a government that's into planning, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well no and there and there are you know there are ideological reasons for that it's it, um you know it's a government that's that the, and, and and a party that that is traditionally not keen to be that active and to plan and to to, to do those things but in housing <laughs> uh we know that a government has to be active if you look at the supply of housing across the piece and we also know that that, that the demand for housing is very uneven across the country uh, and that's because the economy is very uneven and we know that the demand for student housing is very uneven has be- and has become more uneven because of and you know you know more about this than just about anybody on the planet um, because of kind of the way that sort of uh, um, university recruitment has, um, has sort of uh, I-, I say evolved uh, uh, over the last sort of few years but with kind of covid with a kind of great expansion of particular types of universities you know you've now got kind of huge pressure and and you just look at some of the anecdotal kind of stories of the kinds of uh, rents that students are going to pay for sort of a uh, um, 12 months in the private sector next year in places like Manchester or Leeds or uh, um Newcastle or Birmingham and they are eye-watering because of course when you can you know if you've got those constraints the market's gonna um uh, uh exploit that kind of scarcity and and so I think I mean I think Chris is right there's a you know housing has been a big a big part of of the devolution conversation that Michael Gove is obviously having with mayors and with uh, uh combined authorities that are sort of coming down the track and I think that's an entirely good thing so I think you know I do think you can can take some of these decisions closer to the places where the pressures are really felt but it doesn't get you away from the kind of key problem which is that you know we don't uh, whether that's the kind of government's fault or the private sector's fault and it's and it's both we we don't build enough houses and we've got an incredibly uneven <laughs> uh, economy and sort of student market that tends to make these things worse in in lots of particular places mm. Debbie, I mean, even if we set aside this stuff about, um, you know, the complexities of uh, being able to give two months notice or the fixed term tenancy thing, given that, you know, the, the, the government is saying that about 20% of off street private rented sector houses don't meet the kind of minimum decent home standard. Presumably any rental reform in that, that tips in it towards renters is going to see some cowboys leave the market. And whatever happens here, that we, we are due for a, a, a further tightening of supply, aren't we? Or, or is that scaremongering, do you think? Um, I think, I th- you know, I think it's 
one of those things you can make some quite good universal statements on, which you know it's it's good it's good if if renters are empowered in relation to landlords because there's an there's, there is an imbalance there, particularly I think in the student market where you know renter you know as you know, they're sort of new to renting and therefore don't necessarily know what their rights are. It is it is good if uh, the homes available are of 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 an appropriate standard to, and, and livable. And we know that and we know that both these things are problems, and this is what this you know this is why this bill is needed. This is this is what um, you know Michael Gove you know to give him every credit is sort of set, set, setting out to deal with. I think. The problem is, is that you can't guarantee that it's going to be the cowboys that leave the market. Because I think you know one of the one of the sort of, one of the sort of nature of the uh, of the system is, is that you know is that people who uh, get get round regulations, are, you know, are quite good at doing that. Um, and, and 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 the fear, I suppose, is that it's it's not the people who are essentially kind of um, taking advantage of the system that you know that they would remain in the system, and that pe- people who are just trying to you know make an honest buck are the ones are the ones that get driven out. I've genuinely no idea if that's scaremongering or not. I mean, that's that that's the argument, that's the risk. My feeling, though, is that one of the kind of problems with this bill is is that because it's it, it is very hard to distinguish between private renters you know who have homes you know jo- jobs and jobs and, and families and and who are kind of you know and, and for whom this is their kind of forever you know this, this is their sort of semi permanent home um and and students it's hard to, it's hard to make that differentiation and 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 the, and the bill sort of is is it's, it's sort of note where, where there are differences between those two groups. The bill's trying to kind of introduce exemptions or try and kind of manage that. I do wonder whether actually there just needs to be really, really kind of some, some meaningful thought needs to be given to the specifics of the student market and articulating the specific nature of that market. Because I think Andy's right to say that, you know, the government, government, you know, may need to intervene in housing, but when it, when it comes to uh, a kind of, uh, a, a sort of a peripatetic community like students that 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 that, that has very kind of distinctive um, features and introducing some regulatory uh, activity that is tailored to that particular context, I think, is prob- would probably be quite sensible rather than trying to kind of cherry pick exemptions and and try and kind of make it work as as one whole system. Chris, on that, got, you're, Chris, you'll you'll recall that when you were universities minister, you 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 got a roundtable going where there were some officials from DfE and some officials from. I think, you know, what, what must have been called communities at the time. And, you know, I was in that room and I thought that was very interesting because generally my perception has always been that DFE points at, you know, communities or leveling up or whatever and goes, that's their problem. And, and that department points at DFE and says, yeah, but you're bringing the students. I mean, is there a, do you think there is a problem with a focus on student accommodation in, in, in the kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the mechanisms of the state? Yeah, and I think you'll, you'll, you'll remember, I think, that there were certain individuals, uh, d- officials who'd never met each other, who were sort of like first time in the round table. Maybe they'd had been emailing each other, but they actually physically had the chance to sort of trade these discussions. And the other thing was also the sort of passing the buck. You know, if we couldn't get around that situation, of, I think sometimes the department thinks that, you know, it's convenient for uh, universities to have autonomy when you know the government doesn't want it to be their problem and obviously in other areas you know the, the, the government's very keen to sort of crack down on, on that autonomy when it doesn't suit them uh, but housing is definitely one where the government feels sort of you know you, uh, universities should show their autonomy and, and and keep government out of the way but but also there's an assumption I think from a, a physicality perspective I think of when you know ministers go to universities and go on campus and they're given these tours you, you see the 
shiny new buildings you know put up by unite or upp and that, yeah that's great but sort of it, it, it lends to an assumption that it's all fine uh, when you know it's not and, and and the reality is sort of hidden away uh but understanding that you know student accommodation providers aren't going to be able to solve this challenge by themselves that ministers do need to step up and cover that huge issue around the private rented sector and 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 some of the you know the grotty uh, standard of living that you know, students have put up with for too long uh i know there was obviously we had grenfell but then there was a other separate occasion which has been forgotten about now i think it was in manchester where we had the, the fire that took place uh also in in in, in student that was it bolton yeah uh, and and, that, and and then it was also it was just a, and it pointed also to a point when again for lack of place planning decisions I think it was at Bristol they were sort of sending students over to Newport to live uh, and and it, it it struck me that you know again there hadn't been that opportunity to convene in in the past and and I think we've 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 gone backwards in terms of we I don't think we've had that convening opportunity uh, since uh, and and you know, we do really need to think about how to to bring you know not only departments together but those officials uh, to understand that the the mirage of thinking we can just leave it to the student accommodation sector to to, to the larger providers in the private sector is not possible. And that's, uh, you know, that's also true. It takes us back to the international students dimension because most of the investors and the private sector developers who are, who are either acting on their own or, or in concert with universities are, uh, you know, essentially want to go after the international market. Uh, and so, so, so the people that do want to build, uh, uh, um, in city centers in, in big student cities are, are chasing the market that kind of, you know, in one form or another, some bits of government would like to restrict so you know in economics you'd call this a coordination problem (laughs) how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Velour XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good. Now, finally this week, the Office for Students is putting its prices up, Chris. I don't know what sort of, you know, whether that's going to be seen as a, a wise decision uh, from, a, from a reputational perspective. Um, 
But I guess the challenge is, is again, you know, if, if, if you've sort of been to the office of students' offices down in Bristol, it's sort of like it looks like it's run on a shoestring. There's that image and reality, I think, between having set up a regulator and then expecting it to sort of just like run uh, like sort of Rolls-Royce operation from scratch. When I think, you know, the OFS would never admit this, but, you know, they've had this sort of journey of having been established and then suddenly everything's been placed on them. They went through that difficult phase of obviously doing the registration processes, uh, which took up you know, an enormous amount of their time. Um, and, you know, they, they've not got the resource to potentially you know, deliver on what they're being asked. Yes, Debbie. I mean, you know, I mean, it's almost it's almost. 20%, isn't it, the, the, the increase? Is it? Do you think it's that OFS is being asked to do too much or that it hasn't got the money to do the things that, quite rightly, it should be doing? Um, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's taking on new things. And this is part, this is part of the context here. Because, so um, some of these things involve, you know, the duties around the Free Speech Act, um, the fact that it's going to take on the designated quality body role, um, uh, having um, a bit, because because QAA is no longer doing that for England, um, and then there's all kinds of uh, sort of expectations around preparation for the lifelong learning entitlement. And I mean, wh- whatever you may think about free speech or or or, or, or the kind of uh, machinations around quality, I don't think there's any other organisation that could be doing that could be, you know they, they need these things need to be done, and, and I'm not sure that there's anyone other than OFS that could do them. So. Um, I, I think, you know, I, th- I think it is fair to say that OFS is in a bit of a tricky situation because it, it, it doesn't have the kind of relationship with the sector where the sector is going to be understanding, particularly in the context of some of the financial challenges the sector is facing, um, about these fees. Um, but, but, but on the other hand, we really don't want the regulator to be doing these things badly, um, and, 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 and in an under-resourced way. I think it's, uh, I think the, the, the model of subscription is, um, a pretty challenging one, and I think it, it, it perhaps is, is a good moment to reflect on on what that what that compact is actually in, in terms of what the sector can expect back from OFS, um, in, in terms of accountability, in, in you know, uh, um, in in in, re- in relation to these fees. I think it might be time to kind of have have another look at that and think about that relationship. Andy, obviously, there's that uh, Lords Committee that has been looking at um, OFS, and I get a sense in light of that, amidst that, as the press would say, um, that there's a kind of a, a new level of bravery around uh, the sector in terms of taking a pot shot at OFS. But I keep looking at all of its functions and thinking, which of these would you drop? I mean, you know, they're all actually really quite important from a student interest perspective, aren't they? Yeah, well, of course they are. I mean, I think, I think, I mean, firstly, obviously 20% in the current climate is, is a bit crazy and it's a little bit tin-eared uh, of, of the OFS to kind of go down this route, I think. Um, but, you know, they've been accused of that before in other areas. I mean, I think, I think broadly, you know, you've got two, two problems here. I mean, governments uh, are always going to ask the OFS to do more. Uh, this government, it happens to be free speech and kind of, you know, the, the quality, uh, stuff. Uh, um, and uh, as we talked about in the kind of broader economic approach, you know, labor will ask for more levers over what higher education does and that will fall to the OFS. So governments of whatever, over stripe are going to, uh, want to do, uh, want a body to do more. But I think the second thing is that it just, it just shows that the, the OFS was as, as a regulator. And I'd be interesting to see whether Lord's inquiry gets into this detail was, it was that in my view, it was always too narrow a model. 
you know, it was always too simplistic to think that all you needed for higher education was a, a, a fairly light touch regulator with all the other things that we think we want it to do. You know, whether that's exploring housing demand in particular uh, bits of the country uh, or free speech or, uh, um, you know, requiring universities to help you level up the country or to act in um, going back to the, the kind of green revolution uh, in, in that kind of forward-looking industrial strategy. So I think, I think the, the essential problem we've got here is that it, it, it was the wrong model when, when we started with it. And we need to think rather more broadly about what does, a, what does a proper model look like and how do we get there rather than how do we just kind of keep going through this piecemeal quick give it to the OFS uh, and they'll whack up the fee and everything will be fine. Chris, I mean, I, I, I still don't really, I don't really think, you know, from when you were there, I don't, I don't really get a sense that it's still clear what it is that DfE does and what it is that OFS does in relation to England's higher education. And, you know, even if you, even if you ignore the kind of UKRI question, particularly around PGR students, th- th- it seems to me that it's still not really clear what the respective responsibilities are. And that, you know, that's a recipe for chaos, isn't it? Yeah. And I think probably what you saw was, obviously, you have this sequencing of ministers, you know, Joe Johnson sort of came in with a, with a clear vision of what he wanted to do. He sold it to David Cameron. Yeah, there might have been a bit of overlap with Willett sort of working on this thing uh, of trying to sort of understand how to to raise standards, but at the same time as as doing so in a in an accountability mechanism that recognises sort of the you know, value for money for the fee level and all this stuff. And 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 then you know that was done very much on a a perspective of of. of of, of almost like consumer protection, I guess, sort of thinking about the, you know, the, the and, and we had those debates around duty of care and what, what does that require? And then we shifted in and, you know, I was an implementing minister. I sort of came in and, you know, I, the challenge I would say is that there's, I don't see anyone coming in and putting new primary legislation in. The thing is, it's like OFS like is written into primary legislation, which makes it very difficult to, to basically unpick it. And I don't see Labour having that appetite, you know, they'll have other priorities uh, to focus on if they become the next uh, government. Um, but then we had this challenge where, um, you know, Gavin Williamson and to an extent Michelle Donnellan came in and you know, they wanted to bring in a, a sort of culture war to focus on sort of social based issues, freedom of speech. Uh, and, and so the very sort of intention uh, for setting up OFS it went in a completely different direction because the ministers had lost the power that they thought they had to be able to direct, you know, sort of the decision making processes. And all the power was in primary legislation for OFS. So that became the only instrument they could use. Um, so I feel sorry for. Uh, and obviously, OFS have gone through a number of personnel changes, not only at chief executive level, um, also at access and participation level as well. Uh, and you know, that's not to say that those are you know, brilliant individuals, and I've got nothing against them. You know, as individuals, they're doing a great job, and you know, on, on you know, the personalities involved uh, are passionate about making higher education work. But it's just this sort of sense of left hand, right hand, but also that sharp t- sh- uh, shift in in policy intent from ministers about what's the purpose of the OFS. Uh, that hasn't been resolved you know they're trying to cram in all this additional uh sort of culture sort of war sort of social based policy into the ofs when that wasn't its intention to start with 
So that's about it for this week. Remember to dig a bit deeper into anything we've discussed today. You'll find links in the show notes on wonky.com. Don't forget you can get the latest show automatically when it's out. Just search for The Wonky Show wherever you get your podcasts. And to find out how we can keep you and your organisation ahead of everything going on in UKHE, do head to the website to find out more about our subscriptions. So thanks very much to Chris, Andy, Debbie and news editor Michael Salmon who makes the show happen behind the scenes. Mark will be here next week. Until then, stay wonky. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.